our loving Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be among the living today. We thank you, Father, for preserving our lives and our health. Glory be unto your name, dear Lord. Now, Father, we commit ourselves unto your care, asking for grace and help on our pilgrim journey. We are coming closer and closer to the time when you would cut your work short in righteousness. We want to be partakers of your kingdom. We want to do your will on this earth. We pray, Father, because we realize our weakness and we plead our weakness is our only plea that you help us, grant us strength, grant us grace, grant us the power to become sons and daughters of God. Your word has promised that as many as receive Christ, to them you give power for this purpose. Please, Lord, fulfill that promise in our lives. As I speak, Father, please consecrate me to your service. Put your words in my mouth and may blessings flow forth to all those who are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Conflict and Courage, August 5 Elijah's Successor Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 and 52 In the desert, in loneliness and discouragement, Elijah had said that he had had enough of life and had prayed that he might die. But the Lord in his mercy had not taken him at his word. There was yet a great work for Elijah to do, and when his work was done, he was not to perish in discouragement and solitude, not for him the descent into the tomb, but the ascent with God's angels to the presence of his glory. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back, and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and bowed themselves to the ground before him. When the Lord in his providence sees fit to remove from his work those to whom he has given wisdom, he helps and strengthens their successors. If they will look to him for aid and will walk in his ways, they may be even wiser than their predecessors, for they may profit by their experience and learn wisdom 
from their mistakes. Elijah, the man of power, had been God's instrument for the overthrow of gigantic evils. A successor to Elijah was needed one who by careful patient instruction could guide Israel in safe paths. For this work, Elisha's early training under God's direction had prepared him. Every act of life is a revelation of character, and he only who in small duties proves himself, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, will be honored by God with weightier trusts. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Elijah's Successor. Elijah's ministry finally was coming to an end. He had for long been the instrument the Lord has used to bring down, like we read, gigantic evils. What were some of the things that happened during the reign of Elijah? Elijah was the one who had prayed in love for Israel that the Lord will bring his judgments upon them to bring them to their senses and we learned the lesson that we can do the same for those we love because when things keep going almost as if all is just going well many will not remember God but when affliction comes people do remember God Elijah in love pray, prayed for Israel to be afflicted so that they would stop worshipping Baal. And the Lord heard his prayers. Three and a half years there was no rain. And the attention was finally brought away from Baal to God. Three and a half years Baal couldn't bring any rain for the people who believed that Baal was the one that gave them their rain and their harvest. The God of thunder and the God of the storms failed them. The true God of heaven now after three and a half years, through the instrumentality of Elijah, brought down the prophets and the priests of Baal and showed that he was the God of gods. Elijah led Ahab down into the city and the Lord blessed Israel with rain and harvest. Elijah was the one through whom the schools of the prophets were sustained much later for many years and this was after he selected Elijah. The Lord told him to let to select Elisha as the one who would succeed him. After doing this, Elisha was trained by Elijah for some years. Elisha was around when that incident happened where King Isaiah, the son of, of uh, Ahab, requested to go to the god of Ekron. Elisha was with Elijah at that, at that time. And he was with him for many more years, being under Elijah's tutelage and ministering to him. Reading from Prophets and Kings, page 222, paragraph 4, it says, Ministry comprehends far more than preaching the word. It means training young men as Elijah trained Elisha, taking them from their ordinary duties and giving them responsibilities to bear in God's work small responsibilities at first and larger ones as they gain strength and experience. There are in the ministry men of faith and prayer, men who can say that which was from the beginning which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 to 3. Young, inexperienced workers should be trained by actual labor in connection with these experienced servants of God. Thus, they will learn how to bear burdens. Those who undertake this training of young workers are doing noble service. The Lord himself cooperates with their efforts. And the young men to whom the work of consecration has been spoken, whose privilege it is to be brought into close association with earnest, godly workers, should make the most of their opportunity. God has honored them by choosing them for his service and by placing them where they can gain greater fitness for it, and they should be humble, faithful, obedient, and willing to sacrifice. You see, let me just pause, that's the quality of those who want to learn and those who will succeed others. It says they should be humble, faithful, obedient, and willing to sacrifice. Continuing the reading, it says, If they submit to God's discipline, carrying out His directions and choosing His servants as their counselors, they will develop into righteous, high-principled, steadfast men whom God can entrust with responsibilities. As the gospel is proclaimed in its purity, men will be called from the plough and from the common commercial business vocations that largely occupy the mind and will be educated in connection with men of experience. As they labor, as they learn to labor effectively, they will proclaim the truth with power. Through most wonderful workings of divine providence, mountains of difficulty will be removed and cast into the sea. The message that means so much to the dwellers upon the earth will be heard and understood. Men will know what is truth. Onward and still onward, the work will advance until the whole earth shall have been warned and then shall the end come. For several years after the call of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha labored together, the younger man daily gaining greater preparedness for his work. Elijah had been God's instrument for the overthrow of gigantic evils. The idolatry which supported by Ahab and the hidden Jezebel had seduced the nation had been given a decided check. Baal's prophets had been slain. The whole people of Israel had been deeply stirred and many were returning to the worship of God. As Elijah's successor, Elisha, by careful, patient instruction, must endeavor to guide Israel in safe paths. His association with Elijah, the greatest prophet since the days of Moses, prepared him for the work that he was soon to take up alone." End of quote. So here we see that there is an important work to do in training younger people for the ministry, especially where one has already begun that ministry like in the case of Elijah and would need to pass on the baton to someone else. It is very important that those who are involved doing the work of God should have this in mind that intentionally they should have people whom they are training, committing the work of the ministry to them and those who are under their tutelage are to be patient 
receiving instructions, not impatient and wanting to bring themselves quickly onto the forefront. No, Elisha waited and was serving Elijah, ministering to him in domestic duties. And like we saw in our devotion, it is only those who are faithful in these little responsibilities that will be given a higher one. It says every act of life is a revelation of character. And he only who in small duties proves himself a workman that needed not to be ashamed will be honored by God with weightier trusts. And this is something that we should have in mind. Only those who will prove themselves faithful in doing the kind of things Elisha was doing, pouring water on Elijah's hands, taking care of domestic duties, going on errands for Elijah, following him to the schools of the prophets to teach people from Gilgal down to Jericho and in Bethel. Those three uh, schools of the prophets as Elisha followed him, uh, followed Elijah, he was gaining a training. And it's a lesson that uh, of the way, the manner in which people are to be trained. It's, it's, it's the right way for the young people to be trained by following those of experience and learning from them. Young people who do not have that experience would have the privilege of following others who have had the experience to learn. Now it was that Elijah's work on earth was done and the Lord had determined to take him. He had pleaded to die before, but the Lord's plan for him was that he would not die. And the Lord revealed it to him and he knew it. Reading from Prophets and Kings, page 225, paragraph 2, it says, As Elisha accompanied the prophet on his round of service from school to school, his faith and resolution were once more tested. At Gilgal and again at Bethel and at Jericho, he was invited by the prophet to turn back. But in his early labor of guiding the plow, Elisha had learned not to fail or to become discouraged. And now that he had set his hand to the plow in another line of duty, he would not be diverted from his purpose. He would not be parted from his master, so long as opportunity remained for gaining a further fitting up for service. Unknown to Elijah, the revelation that he was to be translated had been made known to his disciples in the schools of the prophets, and in particular to Elisha. And now the tried servant of the man of God kept close beside him. As often as the invitation to turn back was given, his answer was, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. In 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 9, it came to pass, when they were gone over, Elijah asked, said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. 
and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Amen. Thus came an end to the ministry of this great man of God, Elijah. What lesson do we learn from the fact that Elijah, though he requested to die, the Lord had other plans for him and took him alive to heaven until today. As the second person who has experienced this, Elijah has not tasted of death. As I speak, who knows whether he's even hearing what I'm saying. Whatever abilities he has now, he and Enoch are the only two men so far that has never tasted of death. What does that teach us? Prophets and Kings, speech 227, paragraph 2 says, Elijah was a type of the saints who will be living on the earth at the time of the second advent of Christ and who will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump without tasting of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 and 52. It was as a representative of those who shall be thus translated that Elijah near the close of Christ's ministry was permitted to stand with Moses by the side of the Savior on the Mount of Transfiguration. In these glorified ones, the disciples saw in miniature a uh, representation of the kingdom of the redeemed. They beheld Jesus clothed with the light of heaven. They heard the voice out of the cloud, acknowledging him as the Son of God. They saw Moses representing those who will be raised from the dead at the time of the second advent, and there also stood Elijah representing those who at the close of earth's history will be changed from mortal to immortal and be translated to heaven without seeing death. There was yet a great work for Elijah to do and when his work was done, he was not to perish in discouragement and solitude, not for him the descent into the tomb, but the ascent with God's angels to the presence of his glory. End of quote. Amen. I long to be among those who, like Elijah, will be changed from mortal to immortal, will be changed from corruptible to incorruptible, and will be translated to heaven without tasting death. These are those who Paul referred to in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52, where he says, Behold, at at the last trump, we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and this mortal shall put on immortality, and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. And he also said about this in the book of First Thessalonians 4, reading from verse 16, 17, saying that we which are alive shall not prevent those that are dead, that we shall be changed and be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There are those who are going to be alive when the Lord comes who will never taste of death, but such people are going to be a special one. And one may wonder why such a blessing to them. What of those who have lived before them? Why are they not going to have this blessing of following the Lamb whithersoever he goeth? Why is it those who are coming at the eleventh hour? You know, our Lord Jesus gave an um, a parable concerning the workers who come at the eleventh hour. And he said something about those who come at the eleventh hour. In the book of Matthew chapter 19, reading from verse 27, Especially when we look at the fact that Elisha and Elijah are people who left all to follow the Lord. 
as we have been seen before in previous devotions. This was a marked characteristic of Elisha. He left all he had in this world to follow the Lord and do the work of the Lord. And there is a blessing. Matthew 19, reading from verse 27, this was where Peter asked the Lord and said, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Why did Jesus say this? You see, Peter's question was not supposed to be asked that way. We are not to follow God for reward. Peter was asking what will be our reward since we left all and followed thee and this rich young ruler did not leave, could not leave all his riches to follow you. Or oh, surely the Lord, there must be something better for us that I have left all to follow you. And Jesus told him, yes, there's a blessing. But the fact is that many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And this prompted Jesus to tell Peter and the rest of his disciples a parable to teach them the lesson of not being competitive, of not wanting to have more reward than others or checking other people's reward. Oh, why is this one not tasting of death and I tasted of death? Why is this one getting this crown and me, I'm not getting this crown? Why am I getting equal reward? I want more than this other person. You know, that was the question Peter asked. The question Peter asked was loaded with that spirit, that spirit of wanting to have more reward than others. This now prompted Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 to say this parable. He said, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them the hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Did not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that it thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, 
and the first last for many be called but few chosen amen this parable was told because of that question that peter asked where he said what shall you give us who have left all peter asked that question making a comparison between himself and the rich young ruler who jesus had just told to forsake all and follow him but the man did not do it peter wanted to be sure that the reward he was going to receive will be greater than that which others will receive jesus told him you will receive a great reward but then told him that many shall that are first which refers to you peter himself you who are first can be last and those who are last will be first the lesson that jesus wants us to learn he now told in that parable the workers who came at the first hour will represent people like peter or people who have walked in the past like our good old enoch and people like elijah people like moses oh these men have walked in the past joshua the kings like david who were good men jehoshaphat these are those who have walked in the first hour and then as we keep on going closer to the end of time the lord always has laborers who are working for him and as we come to the last hour of work which is the 11th hour those who are living in the last days will be called also and they will work for the lord then how is the lord going to reward people is it based on how long your work has been the books of paul for example are working till now converting many souls to christ how will the lord reward it is not for us to be in competition asking who is going to get more reward than the other envy is not to be in our hearts you see in this parable is loaded that mindset of envy have you ever seen in the offices when people go to work and then there's a new employee and that employee is receiving equal salary with the old employees or even more than that what does he usually do to the old employees they get offended to, uh, against their master and they start to complain this person just came now i even have more qualification than him i have worked longer than he has worked and you are giving him or her more salary than myself the answer to that is exactly what jesus said is it not lawful for me to do what i will with mine own is thine eye evil because i am good and he reminded them what was the agreement between myself and you we agreed that i'll give you a penny so don't look at another person's reward whatever i agree with the person is not your business the lord understands that envy can be in our heart even in this christian journey when we look at elisha and elijah elisha was not translated elijah was translated it tells us the reward that god is going to give to different people there are some who will not taste of death who will be among the 144,000, and there are others who will die and will be resurrected the crowns of the saints will be loaded with stars but each will not have equal uh equal reward god is going to reward every man according as his work shall be so how does the lord reward people reading to explain this parable i'll be reading from christ object lessons page 397 paragraph 3 it says not the amount of labor performed or its visible results but the spirit in which the work is done makes it of value with god those who came into the vineyard at the 11th hour were thankful for an opportunity to work their hearts were full of gratitude to the one who had accepted them and when at the close of the day the householder paid them for a full day's work they were greatly surprised they knew they had not earned such wages and the kindness expressed in the countenance of their employer filled them with joy they never forgot the goodness of the householder or the generous compensation they had received thus it is with the sinner 
who knowing his unworthiness has entered the master's vineyard at the eleventh hour. His time of service seems so short. He feels that he is undeserving of reward, but he is filled with joy that God has accepted him at all. He works with a humble, trusting spirit, thankful for the privilege of being a co-worker with Christ. This spirit God delights to honor. The Lord desires us to rest in him without a question as to our measure of reward. When Christ abides in the soul, the thought of reward is not uppermost. This is not the motive that actuates our service. It is true that in a subordinate sense, we should have respect to the recompense of the reward. God desires us to appreciate his promised blessings, but he will not have us eager for rewards, nor feel that for every duty we must receive compensation. We should not be so anxious to gain the reward as to do what is right irrespective of all gain. Love to God and to our fellow men should be our motive. End of quote. To digest what we just read now is very, very important that we as Christians understand that we do not work for God for reward. There are people who you ask, why are you keeping the commandments of God? And they'll say, I want to go to heaven. Yes, it is good to have um, respect unto the recompense of the reward, but no, that should not be our primary motive. If you have been a sinner and have tasted the forgiveness of the Lord, the love that flows forth from the heart of one who knows that he is undeserving of this life of forgiveness, of the good things that the Lord gives to him, that gratitude and love is enough to make you work for the Lord. It is not about the one penny like, like um, Peter was asking. It seems he was asking and it said, what, what is our payment for living all? That's not the spirit that we should have, but that spirit of love and gratitude that wants to help your fellow man is enough for you to work tirelessly even if you are not going to be given any reward at all. Reading Christ Subject Lessons, page 399, paragraph 5 down to page 400, it says, The first laborers of the parable represent those who, because of their services, claim preference above others. They take up their work in a self-gratulatory spirit and do not bring into it self-denial and sacrifice. They may have professed to serve God all their lives. They may have been foremost in, in enduring hardship, privation, and trial, and they therefore think themselves entitled to a large reward. They think more of the reward than of the privilege of being servants of Christ. In their view, their labors and sacrifices entitled them to receive honor above others, and because this claim is not recognized, they are offended. Did they bring into their work a loving, trusting spirit? They will continue to be first, but their querulous, complaining disposition is unchristlike and proves them to be untrustworthy. It reveals their desire for self-advancement, their distrust of God, and their jealous, grudging spirit towards their brethren. The Lord's goodness and liberality is to them only an occasion of murmuring, 
Thus, they show that there is no connection between their souls and God. They do not know the joy of cooperation with their master worker. There is nothing more offensive to God than this narrow, self-caring spirit. He cannot work with any who manifest these attributes. They are insensible to the working of his spirit." End of quote. So, the Lord is teaching us this lesson. Do not think that because you have sacrificed so much for the Lord and you are suffering in poverty and so much distress, going through hardships while doing the work of the Lord, do not think that your fellow brother, who may have had it fairer for themselves on this earth, are not entitled to a greater or even equal uh, to an equal or even greater reward than yourself. You are not the judge. That's what the Lord is teaching us. We are not the ones to judge the reward of another person. And we shouldn't have that spirit both on this earth and when the Lord will come. If you have that spirit on this earth, you may just close the doors of heaven against yourself because this spirit of envy and comparing one another's reward is not going to be in heaven because it's that same spirit that will bring up affliction a second time. It is that spirit that the devil had. That brought about what we have in the world today the consequences of sin so we must even now have a low opinion of ourselves and not think that we are more sacrificial more self-denying more worthy of reward than others because you have been long in the service or because you have given so much sacrifices endured more hardships faced more persecutions than others don't be a judge on such matters do not think that way. As the Lord rewarded Elijah with translation to heaven, but later on Elisha with death, it is not for us to say who receives a better reward or to work for that purpose. Let us have a contented spirit and one that is that is filled with gratitude. Reading again from Christ Subject Lessons, page 402 to 403 to understand this uh, lesson. It says, this parable is a warning to all laborers however long their service however abundant their labors that without love to their brethren without humility before god they are nothing there is no religion in the enthronement of self he who makes self-glorification his aim will find himself destitute of that grace which alone can make him efficient in christ's service whenever pride and self-complacency are indulged the work is marred. It is not the length of time we labor, but our willingness and fidelity in the work that makes it acceptable to God. In all our service, a full surrender of self is demanded. The smallest duty, done in sincerity and self-forgetfulness, is more pleasing to God than the greatest work when marred with self-seeking. He looks to see how much of the Spirit of Christ we cherish and how much of the likeness of Christ our work reveals. He regards more the love and faithfulness with which we work than the amount we do. Only when selfishness is dead, when strife for supremacy is banished, when gratitude fills the heart and love makes fragrance the life, it is only then that Christ is abiding in the soul and we are recognized as laborers together with God. However trying their labor, the true workers do not regard it as drudgery. They are ready to spend and be spent, but it is a cheerful work done with a glad heart. 
joy in God is expressed through Jesus Christ. Their joy is the joy set before Christ to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 4 verse 34. They are in cooperation with the Lord of glory. This thought sweetens all toil. It braces the will. It nerves the spirit for whatever may befall. Working with unselfish heart, ennobled by being partakers of Christ's sufferings, sharing his sympathies and cooperating with him in his labor, they help to swell the tide of his joy and bring honor and praise to his exalted name. This is the spirit of all true service for God. Through a lack of this spirit, many who appear to be first will become last, while those who possess it, though accounted last, will become first. End of quote. And this is the lesson that the Lord will have us learn as we look at the translation of Elijah and the succeeding of Elijah by Elisha. Firstly, we should remember that it is important that those who are involved in the work of the Lord train others who will carry the baton after they are gone. And those who want to be trained should be ready to be faithful in little duties. And only when you are faithful in that which is least will you be faithful in much. There must be much patience, much perseverance. Have a humble opinion of yourself. And when all is said and done, when the Lord gives his rewards to his servants, it is not for us to ask the question, what did Elijah do? Were there not people who did more things than Elijah? Why did the Lord give him this reward of making him to be translated? There are going to be those who in the 11th hour, the 144,000, those who will be alive. For a short while, they may have served the Lord, but the Lord will take them and they are the ones who will follow the Lamb with us wherever he goeth. Perhaps the highest reward ever given to mortals will be given to them. And if we cherish the spirit of envy, we will not be in the kingdom of God. We will be last. But we must understand that in gratitude to the Lord for all that he has done for us, for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for giving us the opportunity to work for him in the first place, we are to be grateful and we are not to see the work of the Lord as something to be measured with pay. How much am I going to be paid? Thinking of the reward, the reward, the reward. But rather, we are to do it with joy, knowing that we are happy for what the Lord has done for us and we are just doing our bit and our joy is just to do the will of him that has sent us and to finish his work not necessarily thinking of what reward i'm going to get more than my brethren but to have that spirit of self-forgetfulness and do our work in sincerity that is what the lord seeks from us but now we live in a time where we are reminded that if we are faithful we may be the ones who will be alive when the Lord comes, and we may be translated just like Elijah. But it takes much to be among such people like we read, in their mouth was found no guile, for they are spotless before the throne of God. We must put away all sin from our life, and in the power of the Lord we can and will do it by His grace. It takes faith to do so. Faith is the victory, that's what we are told that overcomes the world. First John chapter 5, verse 4. This is the victory. Whatsoever, over, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We must learn to trust the word of God and his promises and take hold of those promises, appropriating them to ourselves, fulfilling the conditions, and the Lord will bring us to that position where we can't be without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. 
as we see Elijah translated. We know that it is possible for us also to have purity of life as we submit ourselves to the Lord, no matter what the overpowering temptation and sin may be in your life. I want us today to know that that Lord who translated Elijah has promised that he can cleanse us of our sins and he wants to make of us a people who will stand for him in these last days, perhaps who will be available and alive at the second coming of Jesus and we will not taste of death. I do not know for sure, but it is possible that it may be you. Do not look down on yourself and say, oh, it is not possible. It is not possible in your own strength, yes. But as the Lord, as far as the Lord is concerned, he can and will, if he wants, make us to be among those people. But we must do our part. And our part is to exercise faith in his promises. When he says he can cleanse us, believe that he can and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters, we are all invited today to take up this work and prepare as those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord. Not that I want to die and then I'm waiting for the Lord to come. No, prepare as though you think the Lord will come even in our own time, waiting for him, purifying ourselves of all iniquity, of all sin. I know that it looks like a tall order, but with God, all things are possible. I like that quote very much. With God, all things are possible. The Lord can make something clean out of an unclean. And it is all left for us to take the promise and receive the reward, even at this 11th hour. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we have received from reading the life of your prophet Elijah. We are reminded of the blessings that you have reserved for those who will live in these last days. We pray, Father, that you help us in our own sphere to be men of God. First of all, taking up the responsibility between, before us on this earth and doing your work in sincerity, in self-forgetfulness, out of love for you. Lord, may we never remove our eyes from you and forget the goodness that you have bestowed upon us. Help us, Lord, to be thankful, to always have that gratitude in our hearts that will lead us to serve you over and over again. And at the end, Lord, whatever reward it is you have for us, Lord, we are content to receive. Help us now, Lord, to overcome every sin in our lives. Help us now, Lord, whatever the trouble that anyone is facing, the temptation, the overpowering temptation and the addiction or sin in the life the, that doth so easily beset, Lord, please meet us at the point of our needs. Grant us of your spirit and give us the grace, Lord, to be overcomers in this life. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.